Good morning and welcome to the Reliably Well podcast, a podcast for medical professionals looking for insight into ways to be more effective for their patients and communities by making sure they are caring for themselves first and thriving in their lives. Welcome to Reliably Well. My name is Sam Peters and I am the host along with Dr. Sumner Abraham and we're going to be talking about burnout and we are going to define burnout and then also look at possible solutions um, to remedying this problem. We're joined today by Dr. Jonathan Malesic, and he just wrote a book published this year on burnout called The End of Burnout, and that was published by the University of California Press. And Jonathan is an essayist, journalist, a scholar whose writing has been recognized as notable in Best American Essays and Best American Food Writing, and has received special mention in the Pushcart Prize Anthology. His work has appeared in the New York Times, The New Republic, Washington Post, America, Commonwealth, Notre Dame Magazine, The Hedgehog Review, The Point, Chronicle of Higher Education, and elsewhere. And his He's been the recipient of grants from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Louisville Institute. So today we're going to talk about what is burnout, what is causing these symptoms, and what are some possible solutions to, uh, I guess, remedy this situation. First, John, this is kind of an interesting topic for you personally to study. What what kind of brought about the study of, of burnout? What made you interested in this? Yeah, and, and before I get into that, just thank you for uh, having me on. It's it's wonderful to have the chance to talk with you both. But yeah, my my interest in burnout stems primarily from my own experience with it. Uh, for 11 years, I was a theology professor at a small Catholic college in Northeast Pennsylvania. And while I was doing that job, one of my main academic interests was the moral and spiritual questions that arise from our working lives. And so I, I published papers on this topic, and I taught a course for undergraduate students called Why Work? And uh, at some point, however, about eight years into my career, that question became much more than academic to me. It became the central existential question of my life. Uh, because I, I had been, this was my dream job, uh, to be a college theology professor. And at some point I started to hate it. I struggled to get out of bed. I couldn't remember anything that I had known about what good teaching was. Uh, I became more frustrated. Uh, we, we could talk about, you know, kind of medical, uh, uh, issues that that arose. I started having inexplicable pains in my torso. Um, I gained 30 pounds. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, this dream job had become a nightmare. And I tried everything that I could think of to deal with it. Uh, I tried talk therapy. I tried, um, uh, you know, antidepressant medication. And it didn't do, it didn't make a big difference. Uh, I eventually took a semester of unpaid leave, hoping that the rest and the distance 
would make things better, uh, would, would be all I needed to, to heal myself. Uh, and that didn't work either. I came back to the college from five months away and was just as miserable as I was before. And eventually the opportunity came up because my wife, who is also an academic, got a job offer uh, at a university in Dallas, Texas. And so as soon as she got her, as soon as she signed her contract, I signed my letter of resignation. And in the weeks and months after that, I turned my research interest onto myself. I thought, you know, what what was it? What happened? And I started to research this concept of burnout. So this was about six or seven, six years ago. So it was before burnout became quite the cultural buzzword it is today. But I started to research this concept and it made sense for me. It made sense of what I had undergone. And so in the following years, I connected my own experience to what psychologists were saying about the phenomenon of burnout and also to those old questions that I had been interested in when I was teaching the class on why work. Uh, And so all of those things together have been my interest in this topic over the last several years. Yeah, and John, I, I mean, there's there's so many directions we can go here, and I appreciate the um, vulnerability in sharing. Uh, the question of why work is the question that I feel like every nurse in the United States of America is asking, and I feel like it's a question that so many of our clinicians are asking too in this, and, and we'll kind of get into, uh, maybe you can help us diagnose kind of what the overall problem is, but it's, but it's amazing to think about whether it's, cause it seems a little bit more granular than just the great resignation that we've experienced kind of in the wake of the pandemic, but it's really very particular to the nursing profession in healthcare in that, um, COVID didn't really strap the healthcare system in terms of like beds were overflowing. It, it was that there were lots of open beds. There were no nurses to staff the beds. Uh, and so I feel like that this kind of your existential question that you taught on and reflected on is, I think, the same question that a lot of folks in our healthcare systems that we work within are asking as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in you know, the work of nurses, uh, the, the value of that work to the to public health i think has never been clearer and if if uh the meaning of work were simply service or uh if the meaning of work were simply accomplishing worthy goals in the community then nurses wouldn't have a problem because clearly they're doing that but there's a whole other side of the conditions of work uh that have been in real crisis, uh, I mean, in many sectors. And I I think it's probably, yeah, most visible in healthcare right now. So we talked about burnout is now a buzzword. Uh, One thing that we see our clinicians talking about is uh, emotional exhaustion. Uh, They aren't getting that sense of meaning at work and they're starting to uh, depersonalize their patients you know it's not um, the patient's name but it's the laceration in room one Um, the medical community has labeled this burnout and a lot of your study has been interested in what is producing these symptoms so let me ask now what what is it that is happening when people talk about being burnout 
Yeah. What people uh what people talk about may be different from what the uh the research indicates. Um and I think that that's part of the problem that we have is that even within research communities and medical communities the definition of burnout is there's there's not wide agreement on that definition. Uh and so I in in the broad sense uh Burnout is a chronic experience of being stretched across a gap between your ideals for work and the reality of your job. And like you mentioned, Sam, that manifests in three main ways. There's so psychologists study burnout across three dimensions of exhaustion, cynicism or depersonalization, and uh, a sense of ineffectiveness. So it's, yeah, feeling chronically exhausted, emotionally distancing yourself from your patients, clients, students, passengers, um, customers, whatever, and a feeling that your work it just isn't accomplishing anything. Uh, and that is different from the ordinary tiredness that we feel at the end of a long week that is different from boredom that is different from uh you know just just kind of passing uh feelings of of dissatisfaction it's it's got to be chronic and you know i think that if if you are experiencing those uh symptoms across a long period of time then yeah burnout is probably an, an apt term uh for describing what you're undergoing so burnout is not just feeling tired, but you have these expectations of what your job is going to be. And work does not match that. You, time and time again, you go to work and you're not getting that, what you signed up for. And that, I guess, leads what you call in your book, not just tiredness, it's despair. Um, talk a little bit about burnout culture. Yeah, I think it means two things. So one is that on a broad scale in our culture, we see the the conditions that are ripe for burnout. Uh, our cultural ideals for work are extraordinarily high in the United States and many of our economic peers. Uh, we expect so much more than a paycheck from work. We expect dignity we you know we expect to to uh work to be the the site of our contribution to society we expect to prove or to build our character so there's a moral dimension to our ideals for work and there's even a spiritual dimension we expect to find purpose we expect fulfillment in work we expect to you know quote unquote make a difference or something like that uh in a, a vague way um so yeah, we expect a, a, our our ideals are incredibly high uh, for the work that we do, and then on the other hand, the reality in key ways has not kept up with those ideals, and in some ways has gotten worse. So you can even just look at wages. So wages for typical workers have been stagnant in real terms for almost fifty years even as workers' productivity has increased. Job security is lo much lower now than it was a few decades ago. 
work just it was as we've so many workers have seen during the pandemic work doesn't it doesn't stay at the office you know work takes up more of our time our space our psychology uh and yeah so as a result um the so one aspect of burnout culture is that that gap between ideal and reality is very wide on a cultural level you could think of that as the climate the the burnout climate is very much tilted against us, which means that we're more likely on an individual level to experience burnout, you know, on, on sort of as the weather of our, our, of our work. But in addition, burnout culture means that burnout isn't just a complaint. If you say you're burned out, you are not only admitting to some kind of suffering you are bragging, you are claiming in a society where work is a signal of your value and your virtue that you are an ideal worker. You have worked so hard, so diligently that you have even damaged yourself. You are a kind of martyr to the god of work uh, in a society that that overvalues work. Uh, and so, I mean, I think that that's that's the real conundrum of burnout culture is that on some level we kind of want to burn out yeah and i, I mean and in our medical communities john and you've i mean and you've commented about this in your writings and you and i have had conversations over the last year about this but like as a clinician it's almost a badge of honor to say that i feel burned out right um, and it's so interesting that even in our pre-med curriculum at the undergraduate and university level or in medical school, there's all this talk about burnout and mitigation strategies. And some of them are hilarious, like the things that the hospitals make you do to you know, mitigate your burnout with these online modules that only seem to um, accelerate it uh, in some ways. Um, but kind of going back to this badge of honor and in the um, medical community, I want to kind of go back to just like the kind of three fundamental tenets of the maze like burnout inventory a little bit, because I'd be kind of curious to get your thoughts on this as kind of this burnout culture as it particularly pertains to medicine. And those three domains are emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a decreased sense of personal accomplishment. I feel like that what clinicians are taught often is that, or historically, that depersonalization has been the hallmark in the medical community of burnout. While you may experience all three and you may score high on the inventory in all three, what really tips people over the edge is I no longer see the patient as a human. And I, I don't know that it's Miss Smith who's a grandmother and really just wants to make it to her third grandchild's graduation. It's that I see it as the 79-year-old lady with metastatic breast cancer who needs to go home on hospice, right? Like there's that fundamental disconnect. What I've found, and this is, and this is anecdotal, I don't have any data or literature to back this up, that over the last two years that we've almost, like the pandemic has uh, really personalized, like COVID really personalized the clinical encounter in a way that we hadn't seen in a while because patients were so disconnected from their families with the PPE requirements and visitation policies at the hospital. So that relationship was so much more personal and people were so much more engaged and these campaigns about healthcare workers being heroes, which I think is kind of laughable to some extent because it's the same things that we've always been doing. We didn't change what our job was. Um, 
but it's now people are exhausted. And I feel like this emotional exhaustion is more of what's tipping the scales or this, I think what at Relias Healthcare, what our clinicians I think feel more than anything is this decreased sense of personal accomplishment. It doesn't matter how hard I work or how good I am, I can't move the needle because the deck is so stacked against me right now. I don't, I don't have enough nurses, I don't have enough beds, there are no pharmacy techs, there are no case managers, I don't, have, I don't have the resources that I need to take care of this very human being in front of me. I, I don't know if you've observed that kind of from your purview or kind of what you think about that while there are these three fundamental components that make up burnout, that kind of what's tipped the scales shifting from depersonalization to this decreased sense of personal accomplishment, it seems that that really has changed in the last couple of years in the medical community. Yeah, I mean that that's interesting to hear because I I have not you know I'm I'm not as as uh, well I'm not deep into you know, the medical community at all really but um, yeah so like your knowledge of what is going on on the ground is is definitely going to be you know a lot better than mine and I think like when it comes to burnout culture the interesting thing about those three dimensions is that like you said there's there can be a I mean cynicism can even be i don't know excused or it can be perhaps a badge of honor um i think about portrayals of physicians uh in particular in film and tv you think of someone like house uh who is you know has this purely kind of like incredible diagnostic mind and personal niceties don't matter it's like look i have important work to do get out of my way. I'm going to help this patient and who they are as a human being kind of doesn't matter. That's for somebody else to figure out. Um, and exhaustion, you know, can also be, we, we get boast of our exhaustion. The one thing people don't want to boast about is their inability to do their job. So inefficacy, if people are admitting inefficacy, then we may be kind of recognizing finally that there really is a problem here. I can't do my job effectively because of the conditions that I have to work in. I'm not the best clinician I can be as a result. Like, I think that's the key sign to burnout because it's the thing that people would not ordinarily admit they wouldn't brag about um being kind of a failure um and that yeah that uh, perhaps this can be the the moment when we can sort of break through burnout culture and figure out how clinicians can get the help they need to so they can do a good job yeah because we really need them to do a good job right totally totally but it <laughs> but it but like it also seems that we're that 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 is emerging at the same time where um, some of our clinicians listening to this um, or their family members listening to this might say, "I'm burned out of talking about burnout. Like I can't." And you know that's a lazy use of the term to some extent uh, because that kind of uh, divorces the the truth of the matter to what you know to kind of the subject of this conversation. But I think that clinicians are so tired of hearing about burnout that they're um but at the same time what you're saying is that this really important linchpin symptom of i'm now telling people that i can't do my job 
which you would net, you know, as you're in medical school, you're getting, you know, you're working to get to this dream job, so to speak. And you realize like, I actually can't do it due to all of these external factors um, in my working environment or that are bestowed on me by insurance companies or, you know, the uh, bureaucracy of pharmaceuticals or whatever it might be. Um, it's interesting that that's emerging when I think a lot of folks listening would be like, why are y'all doing a podcast about burnout? Like I'm, I'm, I'm burned out talking about burnout. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're not, we're never going to fix the problem if we don't talk about it, unfortunately. That's right. In some of your studies, uh, Sumner just gave, kind of gave his testimony of, of feeling burnout and seeing it in the, the subculture within medicine for you. Has there been a uniformity of burnout across different genders, disciplines, industries? Is it uniform? I would say it's ubiquitous, but not exactly uniform. Uh, so, I mean, everyone, any any worker uh, is potentially at risk of burnout because every worker has ideals and every worker is you know, working in, in conditions that may or may not live up to those ideals. Um, and, you know, I should add, there's also some research on parental burnout. Uh, that's, that's at a, I think an early stage. Um, it's not quite as well developed as occupational burnout though. At the same time, <laughs> occupational burnout, I think the research on it should be a lot further along than it is given how, how long they've had, uh, and how little disagreement, uh, and yet there is quite a bit of disagreement over how to understand it. Um, but yeah, so burnout is potentially everywhere. And there are some demographic and occupational differences uh, in burnout. And to me, some of the best studies of burnout are of big hospital systems, because they're, yes, you know, extremely well-educated uh, workers are overrepresented relative to the general population, but you just have huge numbers of workers at all doing all different kinds of things. So you have, um, you know, clinicians, you have techs, you have uh, all kinds, you know, you have uh, cleaning and uh, food service and administrative staff and, and all of that. Um, so those are super interesting studies to me. And what you find in some of these big studies is, for instance, just among physicians, female physicians are at about 30 to 35 percent greater risk of burnout compared to their male peers. Um, and that's a finding that is fairly consistent across studies. Uh, women report burnout at higher rates than men generally. Um, also, in, uh, in, in healthcare, there are interesting uh, differences in how burnout seems to manifest in different uh, careers. So physicians are, in, in some of these big studies, seem to be, a, uh, burnout seems to manifest itself more in terms of exhaustion uh, rather than the other dimensions. In administrative work, it's more likely to manifest as an experience of ineffectiveness. So, this, these, of course, these studies are pre-COVID, but, um, you know, it's generally, you know, the physician is the one who's healing people, you know, who's saving lives, who is the, the public face 
of a uh, of any kind of uh, healthcare organization. And it's the people working behind the scenes who are not only rarely appreciated, they're often resented. Uh, you know, you talk to uh, administration when, you know, there's a dispute about your bill or something like that. Uh, and so those workers often feel ineffective, though, of course, they're contributing to the overall endeavor, too. Back to the gender thing quickly. Um, there's also differences in how men and women tend to experience burnout. Uh, men more typically experience it as cynicism or depersonalization, whereas women tend to experience it more as exhaustion. And I think this kind of reflects some of our social scripts. Uh, you know, cynicism is kind of okay for men to express. You know, again, think of, you know, the, the, the archetypal um, hard-boiled detective or the, the brusque physician is a man. Uh, in in our kind of cultural imagination. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's important not just to look at different rates of prevalence of burnout, but different manifestations. Because if burnout is manifesting differently, it might mean that that class of workers needs a different remedy than than others. Yeah, I, um, I've recently been rereading... Um, Carrie Egan's book on living. Uh, she was a, a pastoral care chaplain in the healthcare setting for a long time. And she has this, she tells like all the chapters are personal anecdotes with patients. And then she gives a little nugget at the end of kind of how she was formed in the process. It's a really beautiful work. One of the things she talks about in there, and I'm, and I'm going to draw this back to um, a question that I have that is, uh, could be, with how men and women experience it differently, but she talks about how we as healthcare providers have the opportunity to be healed when we're listening to our patient's stories and often listening to our patient's stories and who they are as people uh, actually heals them even when medicine falls short. And so one of my, if you're, if you're really listening to a patient's story, um, there seems to be a, and a lot of the patients we take care of in rural America, um, a lot of my patients are not burned out at all. Uh, and they're welders or they're farmers or they're <laughs> like, they, like they have these physically grueling jobs where you could argue that their conditions are far worse than my perfectly 71 degrees and fluorescent working environment of the hospital, right? Um, but there, so like there's almost, and you've written about this a little bit, John, and it was in one of your um, newsletters, I think, about that to some extent there is this privilege of burnout where it almost kind of um, me as somebody who's gone to undergraduate and I've gone to a graduate school and have a medical doctorate and I'm in this job that I've aspired to be in for a long time that I actually may be more likely to burn out. Um, irrespective of my gender, but my my colleague um, who is a welder or a farmer, he's been doing the same job for 45 years, you know, for longer than I've been alive. Uh, and he's I mean, he's just plugging along and he, I mean, he'll probably work every day of his life. I mean, is there kind of a um, privilege to that that almost kind of transcends gender in some way of 
uh, that the um, most privileged people in our society are potentially more likely to experience these while it may manifest differently amongst genders. Yeah, I think it's tricky. I think that they're you know, the, the studies of burnout have primarily focused on, you know, white collar professions. And the first studies were all on, uh, you know, people in the helping professions. So in medicine, education, social work, you know, certain sectors of law and so on. Uh, and, you know, to some degree, I think that that's psychologists researching people who are in a, in a sense like them. Uh, and there are fewer studies and, and I, you know, I think that this is be, a, uh, an important area of research. If there are any burnout researchers listening, um, I encourage you <laughs> to study burnout in welders, uh, and farmers and bus drivers and so on. Um, because it, it just isn't as well understood. Um, but if those workers are not reporting, so, so, I mean, partly it could be that, like, the language of burnout is kind of tied more to white-collar work and the way that white-collar workers express themselves. That's certainly possible. Um, but it, it is also possible that ideals are in better alignment with conditions um, for, you know, welders and bus drivers and so on. Um and that, you know, I, though I would also hasten to add, like, being burned out is not the only way that your job can go wrong. Uh, you know, if you are being harassed at work, if your job is physically dangerous, like, that's a problem that needs fixing. Um, if your salary is inadequate, regardless of your score on the burnout inventory, that's a problem that needs fixing. Um, so, yeah, I would say... We, we do need to understand the relationship between burnout and, and profession or social class better. Um, but right. I, I don't want to over, I don't want to fetishize burnout as like the uh, primary way that work can go wrong because it can, it can go wrong in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a good word um, and a helpful and a helpful reminder. I um Kind of like at this stage, I would be curious about um, some solutions, right? I think that the the solution that I've seen in the healthcare industry in the last year and a half uh, has been to quit. And that's certainly a solution, but I don't know that it's one that, uh, especially in healthcare, um, it's, it's, it'd be hard to, if, you know, if you're trained as a medical doctor, like, and you quit because you have no personal accomplishment, you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're totally fried and exhausted. And it's just like, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to retire early. I can't, I can't handle the bureaucracy. Uh, quitting is certainly a plausible, um, option, but I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on, uh, with kind of some of our commentary of what it's been like for some of our clinicians to experience this in the last couple of years. I mean, what are some, whether it's from a policy perspective or dare I say self-help or personal reflection perspective? Uh, yeah. What are kind of some solutions that you've come to through your research interviews, teaching, et cetera? Yeah. Well, and quitting certainly worked for me. <laughs> that's know? right. That's and right. I think that that's, <laughs> that's an important thing to, um, burnout is often 
can look like uh, clinical depression. Uh, and one way you know it isn't is if you can quit your job and not feel those feelings anymore, then it was burnout and not depression. Because, you know, you can't, you know, d clinical depression follows you everywhere. Um, burnout doesn't. And in my case, yeah, burnout did not follow me uh, to my new career uh, as a, a part-time instructor and, and a freelance writer. Um, but yeah, on the self-help side, unfortunately, there aren't good solutions. Um, you know, there's no life hack that is going to fix burnout. Um, uh, it would be great if there were. But the fact is that the causes of burnout are not something going wrong within the individual. Um, you know, it's it's not like, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, genetic disorder or something like that. Um, so the fix is, because the causes are not individual, the fix ultimately can't be individual either. So it does take, it will, it will require cultural change and probably policy change to fix burnout on, on a larger scale. Cultural change is slow and policy change is very slow often too. Um, you know, it's hard to work that work good policies through the political system. The good news is that on the scale where burnout is kind of most relevant or with the scale where the conditions that cause burnout are most visible to workers. So in their workplace, in their office, um, there is possibility for cultural change and policy change there, even if there isn't on a national scale, at least not immediately. Um, on the scale of a department, a, uh, an organization, a single office, there really is possibility for change. But what has to happen is that the people who work in that environment need to work together. They need to talk through what are their ideals? What, why did they get into this line of work in the first place? How are those ideals being met or not? And what are the conditions that might be getting in the way of them accomplishing their goals? Part of it might be that some, some people's ideals might be, you know, uh, unreasonable. Um, but, you know, it's very likely that there are things that the people in the organization are doing that are holding them back, that are getting in the way of their happiness and flourishing. And so there have to be conversations about that. And I should say, like, it's not just conversations with, uh, you know, among coworkers, but with everybody who is, you know, in, who is touched by the work of, an organization. So customers, patients, clients, uh, shareholders, perhaps for, you know, publicly traded companies. Uh, I mean, it's everyone's expectations and everyone's uh, interactions, you know, with people at work are relevant here. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I just can't, I would, I would love to pick your brain about how we at Relias could, we need to hire you as a consultant, John, to come in and help us uh, combat burnout and all of the, with all of our health system partners, because uh, it certainly is a problem. I'd love for you to give a quick plug for your new book, which is, uh, I guess it's, 
I guess I can still call it new, right? That's not. Uh, yeah, let's just yeah. say your most recent it's, book. Uh, sure, it's been yeah, but, a few months, but yeah, yeah not, it's uh, not too old yet. Yeah, but yeah, but I'd love to uh, for you to kind of plug uh, your book, tell us where to get it, and then I'd also love for I personally have benefited from your newsletter, uh, and so I'd love for you to tell people where they can subscribe and how to subscribe to your newsletter. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, the book is called The End of Burnout. Why Work Drains Us and How to Build Better Lives. It is available wherever uh, you like to buy books. Uh, and there's, you know, it's in hardcover. There's an audio edition. There's a Kindle edition. Uh, paperback out next year. Uh, and it'll, you know, eventually be translated into uh, about a half a dozen languages. Um, yeah, and the... the newsletter uh is i i call it burnout culture it is at johnmalesic.substack.com that's j o n m a l e s i c dot substack s u b s t a c k.com and yeah it's a is i'm currently sending it out about once a month um it's you know it's free and it's where i talk about uh, any new writing i've done and just additional things that I'm thinking. So stuff that comes up in conversation about burnout and work, but uh, other things as well. So that's a good way to, to follow along uh, whatever is going on in my mind. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for jumping on this podcast and talking about burnout, something that we hear a lot. We're, we're, we're studying it, thinking about it, learning how to, to remedy the conditions for our, our providers. And as we get off after reading your book, I know that you've, you're widely read, you've, you know, Augustine, Proust, uh, Oscar Wilde, you've mentioned a lot of names. You've actually mentioned, uh, Dr. Sumner a Abraham, if, and here's just like a fun question, if you were to have dinner with any three people, who would that be? And this could be in history or current. What three people have influenced you or, or that you really would like to have a conversation with over dinner? Yeah, the, the tough thing about that is that so many of the people who've influenced my thinking the most, I think probably were not great dinner guests. Um, you know, like Henry David Thoreau has really influenced my thought. And I I don't think I really want to have dinner with him. I think he would be uh, kind of a drag. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think of myself, um, you know, first and foremost as an essayist. And so I think I would love to have dinner with, you know, three, three of the greatest essayists uh, who've ever lived. So Montaigne, uh, Michel de Montaigne, the first essayist, uh, James Baldwin, and Joan Didion, uh, the great you know twentieth century American essayists, and I think, yeah, just their combination of wit and insight would uh, make for a really fun dinner conversation. I would probably have a hard time keeping up with those three, but it'd be it'd be fun to watch them, uh, you know, exchange with each other. Yeah, and then John, kind of from the uh, clinician realm, uh, for all of our clinicians that are listening, I would love for you to. Um, what do you wish your doctor knew? What are what are what are things that maybe were not taught in medical school that you, as a as a patient and somebody who studies burnout um, and how it impacts us as clinicians, what what do you wish that we knew? Um, and and um, there's a lot that we think we know that we don't know. Our um, at um, at Relias, we're reading Adam Grant's uh, Think Again for our book club this quarter. And so we're, um, 
so yeah, I would love to hear kind of what you wish your doctor knew. Yeah, you actually said it a little earlier, Sumner. Uh, it's listening. Uh, I should say my actual doctor, uh, who I w- will actually see tomorrow, but um, uh, is a pretty good listener. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm satisfied that that she knows how to listen. But I think about when I've had really good and really bad care. Often, the difference is in really listening to what I'm saying. Uh, I can recall um, this is you know quite I don't know more than a decade ago now. Um, I had you know a persistent problem uh, that I that I brought to my eye doctor, and. Um, you know, she gave me a prescription and uh, it didn't help. It only made things worse. And it was so frustrating. So I went to another eye doctor and I explained, like, this is what's going on. And this is this is the frustration I have. And she stopped for a second and she said, let me try this. And she did one test. Uh, and she's like, you know, made an instant diagnosis. Like, yep, classic case of whatever. I forget what the name of it is. Um, gave me a different prescription. And honestly, it was life-changing, life-changing for the better. <laughs> um, that doctor made so much of my life better. Um, I, I had no idea that it was possible to see as well as I did uh, after that encounter because she really listened to exactly what I was complaining about. Um, and she knew how to diagnose that. And, and I'm forever grateful. Well, very good. Thank you so much, Dr. Malesic, for uh, this conversation. Thank you, Dr. Abraham, for for uh, your participation. We want to thank our listeners. Thank you for um, listening. And if you've benefited from this conversation, please share it with a loved one. And if you have any topics in the future that you'd like us to discuss, please send them my way. Until next time, be well. Bye.